Hey everyone, and welcome to another Yogi Misfit Sessions. My name is Danny Pomploon, and I'm your host. Welcome to session 77. Man, we are getting up there. In today's session, I have the privilege and the honor and all the above, all the things to uh, speak to Kelly Carboni Woods. She's also known as the Peace Mama. Um, you know, I want to say, like, one of the reasons I love this podcast is because it gives a voice to bigger conversations. You know, one of the, like, talking to different yogis and just different aspects of the practice. And, you know, I, I love the conversation that Kelly and I had. You know, we got into things about race and inclusion and diversity in yoga. And we got to hit some sensitive, you know, topics with, with me as well. And it was just a really cool conversation and you know as we have these bigger conversations i know that we find ourselves sometimes navigating some spaces that can be a little more you know like sensitive aspects of how privilege and lack of representation impact uh, our collective experience so i want to invite you into this bigger conversation with an open mind and an open heart and i also want to just take thank take this moment to thank Kelly for coming on to the show and for sharing her voice and touching me the way that she did. And as always, I want to thank our friends over at SF Yoga Magazine. Without their love and support, we would not be where we're at today with this show. If you love the show, make sure you leave a review on iTunes. There is a link down in the show notes on how to do it. It really, again, just helps spread the word of the show and keeps conversation going. And that's how we all learn and grow is by keeping this thing going. Without further ado, here comes episode 77. Okay, so we're starting the show over, and Kelly was just telling me that if a bus passes by her house, we lose internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to city living. <laughs> How long has this been an issue? <laughs> um, I've lived here for one year, so not quite a year. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Kelly, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm so excited to get to talk to you. And, and you were just saying you had started another social media account, and then I kind of popped up as a suggested. Well, some of the work that I do is helping other businesses, uh, especially like yoga businesses and people who work for mindful in mindfulness. And mm-hmm. so I managed some social media accounts and I was on one of those accounts and it was like, Hey, do you follow Danny? And I was like, no, but I'll, actually I should. <laughs> and so I've been looking and I, honestly, I made an assumption that you are a woman because we never spoke and mm. we never talked about gender or anything, but right. I know someone who spells their name D A N N I that is a woman. So I just assumed until that day. And I was like, man, look at the assumptions we make based on our previous history. Yeah, um, totally. That, that totally. could possibly interfere with our interactions, but anyway. Yeah, totally. I hear it. And people always ask, they're like, why Danny with an I? Like, how did that work out? And it's a really simple and also really cheesy story. When I moved out, of, when I moved out from home, I went by Daniel and like, I didn't, I didn't want to be Daniel anymore. I was like, no, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to make my own way. And so I started going by Danny and then I was totally in love with this uh, guy and he was like, you should spell it with an I. And I'm like, I'm going to spell my name with an I because you said so. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of just stuck. It yeah. was like, it, it was a way for me to reinvent myself, I guess. And it just, it, when I was a kid, 
I went, I went by little Danny and I hated it. Uh, I just didn't like it because I was like, no, don't call me little Danny. I'm not little. Is um, there a big but, Danny? You know, there is a big oh, Danny. Okay. Yeah, there is a big, yeah, yeah. But he, he goes by Dan. Oh, he goes okay. by Dan. Yeah. And then I was Daniel at like at school and whatnot. And then little Danny at home and you know, whatever, but that's how the story goes. Right. Okay. Well, cool. Awesome. <laughs> And it wasn't until later on in life that people are like, you know, girls spell it with an I. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It's stuck. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, Kelly, you are up to a lot. I know you were saying that you recently took a break, but I mean, you've got your hands. Not only are you a mom of two, yes. but you've also got your hands. And I mean, you help out other businesses. You're teaching yoga. You've got a journal. You do some online work. You're you're doing all the things. Yeah, I um, I was a hairstylist for 13 years and I closed my salon uh, in August of last year mm-hmm. so that I could just focus on uh, teaching and building community. I started a nonprofit that launched last October. And so just mm-hmm. wanting to like focus on what it means to make the practice fully accessible to everyone um, and mm-hmm. be more involved in what that looks like here in my city, which is Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and so it's been good. As a person of color who does practice, um, you know, obviously you're a teacher and, and whatnot. What is, what have you? Why is it that you think it is so inaccessible, um, or, or it's not accessible? I mean, obviously the way that it's marketed is to you know skinny white girls on the cover of you know Yoga right. Journal magazine. I but. think it's layered. So all of us have uh, different things that like differences in body, differences in ability, age. Um, when I think about myself and like where my work centers, when you're talking about people who work all day and then have children, there's the thing of like paying, like in my city, like 18 to $20 to drop into a class, but then paying a babysitter Mm -hmm. 15 to $20 an hour. So something that Mm. seems like what's $20 becomes 60 or $80 for somebody with children. That's pretty inaccessible to me on a weekly or daily basis where before I had children, um, I was known to practice every single day. Uh, it wasn't that much to spend a hundred or two hundred dollars on a membership to a studio um, for a month, but I can spread two hundred dollars right. really far in the grocery store uh, for my children. And still, I'm going to practice. Mm-hmm. But if you already didn't have a practice or money is tight, I feel like yoga will be probably something that's cut. And also, I mm-hmm. know for myself. Uh, in my lived experience that yoga makes all the difference in how I show show up as a mother and also how I show up for myself or show up in community. And so, you know, if you add these other layers of like studios that never show a person of color or never show a person in a bigger body or never show someone who's elderly in a wheelchair, uh, these are the mm-hmm. places where I end up working. And these are the people I end up working with because life is stressful for all of us, but Yoga is just going to be a mirror of all the other places in life that are difficult. So the same people who don't see themselves in yoga advertisements are also the people who don't see themselves in the general world being shown accessibility to things. And also these are people who face Uh stressors that other people don't have. Uh, In the city where I live uh, two days ago, a man was shot at a Burger King trying to help uh, someone in a domestic violence situation. He was a black male. Yeah. What? And so the tension in my city right now is really high because they tried to paint him as someone who had a gun, which in North Carolina, this is an open carry state. 
So he had a registered firearm Mm -hmm. holstered and he was shot with his hands up. And the part that's delicate and like becomes very much about like respectability politics is that, you know, the police and media tried to paint him as like this questionable, dangerous man. And the police just did what they needed to do to protect themselves. And in the same paper where they reported that people went back and found an article about him being such a loving community member only a few years ago upon graduating high school and like how much he gives back. And he's a writer and like works in his community, which none of that should matter, but it does anger community that someone who was very loved and supported and a contributor in a quote unquote positive way now isn't here. And so there's just like a lot of questions. So I say that to say those types of stressors, make yoga feel like it's not really that important, but research by people like Dr. Gail Parker, who's a yoga therapist out of Detroit, show that especially for people of color, as we navigate this space around police brutality and violence that is related to our race, yoga is essential if we're going Mm -hmm. to thrive and not be like held in these places of stress or feeling devalued or just scared to even send our children out into the world and into community. Like we need yoga. So I feel called to make it accessible to everyone. Um, But I think we all work in the spaces that connect to who we are and like what, what feels important to us. And I'm a person of color. So I feel like it's important for people of color to have access to yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many, Yes, there's so many demographics and so many different, you know, populations of people that need it. And you, you, I mean, you're absolutely 100% right. Tensions are really high right now. And not just, you know, North Carolina, I'm sure there, of course, because of the incident, but in, in the country, we all know that we're, right. we're, we're going through something, you know? And I think that the more support that there is for everybody, for everyone that feels like they're backed into a corner, you know? And I think, I think what people forget is it's really easy to go on your day-to-day life because you're not a person of color, because you're not a person of, uh, you know, that identifies as gender queer or whatever it is. You don't have that slew of problems because you don't deal with it. You know, it's just, and it's not, it's not that it's your fault. You know, it's totally, it's, it's, I guess you go that, that goes more to the conversation of privilege. You know, it's not that it's your fault, it's your fault. It's mainly what you've been conditioned to thinking is fine and is not fine. And, And, you know, who's, Who's right. to say that that's right or wrong, you know, but I do think is it, it is important to educate yourself and whether you're in the role of yoga educator or movement educator, whatever you want to call yourself or not, it still is important to get a good grasp on it. What do you, what do you say to those people that maybe do want to educate themselves on it and, and want to have a deeper understanding? Where, where do they start? Well, I feel like if we're talking about in America, because that's where mm-hmm. I live, um, and yep. you live. Um, <laughs> yep. but I, I'm aware that people might be listening from other places. But totally. when we're yeah. talking about living here in America, this country has a really complex history. And the reality that I think a lot of people don't want to face is that we didn't get here on like freedom and sunshine for all. And so there has to be a very deep look especially for people who make a living holding this type of sacred space, there has to be a deep look at your personal history. Mm-hmm. And so like this space of, well, I want to make yoga accessible and equitable for everyone. If you are not a person of color, and even if you are a person of color, 
getting a really full understanding of how you got to the place you are in the United States, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. And Mm -hmm. so like, if you are a white American, you know, sometimes I'll have these conversations with people and they'll say like, well, my family never owned slaves. And because I love history, I know that to be true. Also, most Mm -hmm. people did not own slaves. However, this notion of race and class is a part of all of our experiences, but the way we're taught through our public school education and even in private schools, but just the model of education here in the U S eliminates a true understanding of history for people. And Mm -hmm. so it makes it hard to conceptualize that something that happened in some families only four or five generations ago is still very much present in what's occurring now. Um, I'm from North Carolina, but my mother is not. And my mother was born in the early 50s. I, in my family, am in the first generation of people not born under legalized segregation. So this is not a far away thing, but the way it's taught in school makes it seem like it's very far away. And so the conversations in my home about segregation and integration and race and Jim Crow are very different than the conversations that some people may be having because my parents aren't, weren't waiting for school to teach me about what that was like. They were telling me exactly what it was like. And my two parents have very different experiences because my dad grew up in Ohio. So my dad always went to integrated schools, always lived in an integrated neighborhood. My mother never went to school with a white person until she was 15 years old. And so This notion that like even slavery is far away is not true in my own family, but the way it's taught in school makes it seem like it's far. And so like, I like to tell people that I was raised in the house with someone who was raised by someone born before the end of slavery. My grandmother was raised in a house with her grandmother and her grandmother was born before the end of slavery. She was not enslaved, but she still lived during that time period. And so in the same way, like for you as a white person, wherever you're from, this legacy of white supremacy, which feeds all the other isms, you know, capitalism, Mm -hmm. patriarchy, it's all fed by white supremacy. All of that plays a part in who you are, the levels of privilege that you have or don't have. And unless we're willing to look at that for ourselves and really like pull apart our personal histories, we can't all forge together to create something new because you have people coming in with different levels of knowledge about privilege and about power. And it can feel very tender for you to be here that like, yes, I don't care how terrible your life is as a white person whiteness still provides you with certain levels of safety that other people will never know, have never known in this country. And that can feel very much like a personal attack when in reality, it's just the truth that all other POCs have. Mm -hmm. And you just haven't had to face or deal with because of this like notion in white supremacy to keep white people separate from their own self-knowledge, to keep them separate from the knowledge of history and like disconnect you from your humanity. And so I say all the time to people, if it's going to be healed any place in my mind, it's going to be healed first here in yoga, because wherever you're practicing, the practice is about increasing knowledge of self. 
So it's like you're already doing self-study about your patterns and handstand and how you apply the yamas and the niyamas and apply all of that to your whole personal history going back from the time whatever relative you have stepped onto this continent. And right. even before, you know what I mean? And so yeah. it just applying that, you should be able to pull it apart. It's just that race and class and gender are such tender subjects because we we were brought up to make them tender. They don't have to be, right. you know? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely, yeah, on, on so many, there's a, I, I wish you could see my head right now. I'm just like nodding my head like, yes, yeah, yep, that's true. Yep, 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 yep. All, on all the things, you know, but they're, they're, you're absolutely right. They don't have to be tender conversations. I think, you know, because of patriarchy, they, they have been made tender conversations because certain people decided that, you know, certain things weren't going to be allowed and certain people weren't going to be allowed and certain people couldn't commingle even, which is absolutely blows my mind. It's 2019. And, you know, I mean, like you said, it wasn't that long ago, but I guess in my mind, I'm like, why, why, why does this stuff, uh, you know, we we can, we can have a whole nother episode on that, but I think it is important to, you know, for the people that I recently had uh, Marshawn Feltis on the show. I don't know if you heard that episode, but he is a POC. We met, we've in, met before uh, at the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance conference. Oh, yeah. My God, the man is amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I was talking to him about, he he was like, a lot of people want to come in and say, oh, how can we support? And, you know, uh, yada, yada, yada. And, and their intentions are really good, you know, like same, you know, like the intention is really good, but you can't just go jumping into a community and start preaching, oh, happy thoughts and everything's going to be fine when you don't know the background of the community and when you don't know what they've had to deal with and when you don't know the dialogue and the language, like there's almost, uh, what did he call it? He called it the white right. savior complex, you know, where you go in and you try to like just save the day and it, it, it almost kind of... I guess from my understanding, it just washes what really the reality of the situation, you know what I mean? But it's really educating yourself, like finding a true understanding as to why things are happening the way that they're happening. And, you know, all, you know, really, let's talk about integrating the yoga in this is, is putting the judgment aside and just sitting as the observer for a minute, not trying to react and not trying to change and shift and do anything, but sitting and observing it, just taking it in for a minute. Yeah. So, so you're on the, I mean, thank you on so many points. I feel like everything that you just said needs mm-hmm. to be heard loud and clear 10 times over and over again. You're, you're on this mission, not only to help other people of colors, but I know you're helping also people with different body types and, you know, you're saying you're helping people in wheelchairs. How did that all come about? Was it all just kind of, did, did you just feel all in the same place? Like, okay, I'm not only a person of color, but I'm also getting, or I'm not only getting people of color um, that need my help, but I'm also getting, you know, people from different, you know, uh, body types and, you know, different injuries and well, whatnot that also So need I would say that my work in like accessible yoga isn't necessarily as deep as it could be. It's just realizing that we all have intersectional places where we identify. And so, you know, mm-hmm. like, Fortunately, there is a lot of spaces where now you start to see black and brown faces being lifted up in, you know, the center of what would be considered like yoga culture here on magazines and through social media and being linked as ambassadors for large brands. I mean, even Marshawn was on the cover of Yoga Journal 
um, a few months ago, even though that was kind of mm-hmm. like a little sketchy situation um, when it all came out or like you see Jessamine on the front of covers or like Sarah, um, Chelsea, uh, Jackson Roberts, like these people are pre- being presented up front. But even in that space, you know, mm-hmm. they aren't, they aren't necessarily going to highlight a bigger black person. You know what I mean? Jessamine kind of like hit so many different places around like gender identity, being in a bigger body and being black and being identified as a femme personality. But in general, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, we'll have a black person, but please let them be the body type that we're used to seeing. You know what I mean? Or we'll have mm-hmm. a person yeah. in a wheelchair, yeah. but they need to be white and kind of young and still like desirable in a way for us to use that as marketing. And so, right. um, you know, working with different people like Diane Bondi or Amber Carnes or even Jivana um, Heyman of Accessible Yoga, just realizing all the places where people are excluded, even when we're talking about certain communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, that have the black community, but that doesn't always feel like a welcoming space for people in the LGBTQ community, just because they're black doesn't mean that they are going to feel safe in a space that's for POC. And so, um, as I work with this nonprofit that I created called the sanctuary in the city, our goal is to have, um, self-sustaining spaces and offering for people of color that are based in yoga, but branch out into other ways. And I don't want anyone to ever feel like they aren't welcome um, within that POC community to come and receive the type of, uh, healing spaces and access to services that we're making available. Because like I said before, the more intersections you lay on top of it, the harder it is to access these spaces and the more stress that may be present in a person's life. How, how active is the, um, the nonprofit? Is it just in North Carolina? Is it happening in other cities or are you just, is so that it's the home only in of- Charlotte? It's only okay. in Charlotte. In October, we started our fundraising in November. Mm-hmm. We had our first offering. Um, and while we work on it behind the scenes a lot, the reality of our lives is that each of us, um, every single person on the board has their own lives and work. Mm-hmm. Many of us are yoga teachers also, and many of us have children. And so trying to find that balance. So, you know, we started fundraising, we had an event, we had really good feedback and then the holidays came and then it was new year's. And so we're just like gearing back up to start offering things again in the summer. Um, but I'm so proud of the work and, um, really looking forward to the way that it's unfolding and opening because, you know, it's just like in any community, you say yoga and people assume you mean a fitness class and right, so yeah. many things <laughs> that aren't fitness. Um, totally. and so like pulling apart that notion of like telling people like, yes, I do teach yoga. I also am not a fitness instructor. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so like just disseminating information too, and explaining because our nonprofit is focused on creating POC only spaces, Mm. which can feel tender for people because one of the constructs of white supremacy is that as a white person, you should have access to every space. And (laughs) you've got the entire, you've got everything else. Calm (laughs) down. (laughs) Right. And there are ways to say that. And also there's this space of, um, you know, part of what I don't like about like diversity and inclusion in the way that it's presented is that like, it's a group effort and we all need to pitch in and educate one another. 
And while there is space for that, there's Mm. also space to say that POC people have supported the creation of this and maintaining this uh, nation in ways that some people haven't had to. And so like, do I owe anyone education or can I just be alive and go to yoga class and breathe and white people gather and learn on their own while black people gather and heal on their own. And then there are spaces where we can do work together. But, you know, I have been um, the only person in all kinds of spaces and it feels uncomfortable. But when you're talking about like one of the spaces that really informed for me is like uh, I went to a yoga class the day that uh, George Zimmerman was acquitted. Mm-hmm. And the teacher happened to be another POC woman. And there were three other people in the class besides me that were non-white. And I know why I went to class. I was newly pregnant. I felt super stressed out about the fact that this had happened. And I wanted to lean into the practice that felt important and good to me in terms of grounding and breathing and like moving into the, what I control and letting go of what I don't control, which is our practice, mm-hmm. right? And so the teacher gives this wonderful talk about being part of the solution and like really fired up. And the people in class were just like zoned out, like in their own world, like they didn't care at all. And I appreciated her for speaking to it in the beginning of the class and even in the closing of the class. But that Mm -hmm. night I like was driving home thinking about how many other people of color potentially went to yoga all over the United States because they felt really stressed and the teacher Mm -hmm. said nothing and people acted like nothing had happened and Mm -hmm. how harmful that must have felt because it felt harmful to me that nobody else in the class seemed upset. And even the, but the teacher was upset. And so that made me feel seen. But if you had normally taught at that time, or it was just your normal time to go to class, how triggering that might've been. And so um, I mentioned Dr. Gail Parker before, but uh, I met her at the same place I met Marshawn at the Black Yoga Teacher Alliance Conference. Okay. And yeah. she does a lot of work around restorative yoga and the ways that it helps with a particular thing called race-based traumatic stress injury, which just simply mm-hmm. says that there are things that are based in race that are happening to Black, Brown, Indigenous people every day that feed mental illness, that feed anxiety and stress in a way that white people are not familiar with and don't have to experience. And so she believes, and because I've taken workshops from her and trainings for her, I believe restorative yoga helps to reset the parasympathetic nervous system so that we're not in this survival mode all the time based on what we're seeing, based on what we're hearing, based on what's being said to us. And in yoga spaces, it's very interesting when I begin to speak about race or when I see other people speak about race, because it can be really harmful. The responses mm-hmm. that these esteemed and respected teachers will have to being called out on their privilege or being asked to examine why they are centering a certain thing. Um, and so I can only imagine how those biases and blind spots show up in teaching spaces and the amount of people who may not even realize how they've been harmed in practice. And so for me, that space is necessary uh, for black and brown people to be able to talk about some things that feel tender that really we shouldn't have to discuss in front of white people. Um, Mm. And, you know, as a mother that comes up for me when I offer mothering 
we all have fears as parents that our children will not make it to adulthood, whether we want to admit it or not. The reasons mm-hmm. why that might happen to my sons is very different than it might be for some of my white mother sisters, you know? Yeah, all of our right. kids could get sick. Any of our children could be harmed by some sort of violence. Also, they don't have to be concerned about a neighbor murdering their children and getting away with it and still being alive and like thriving somewhere. They don't have to worry about that. And so that adds a different kind of stress. And, you know, in maternal health and birth, uh, the United States has a very high, high rate of mortality for black and brown mothers and babies, three times that of white mothers and three times that Mm -hmm. of white babies. And they can't figure out why. The only thing that makes a difference is when once they have access to black birth workers and black physicians and nurses. And so that says to me that race plays a part (laughs) because you're saying just by giving them practitioners who look like them, their chances of survival are higher. And I'm not saying that these nurses and doctors are maliciously going in, but that bias, it rests in our DNA because it's been a part of our lives for such a long time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's trauma. It's and and I think what people forget, like let's let's demystify this right now. Somatic trauma doesn't necessarily show up as someone you know you got a bruise on you or whatever. Somatic trauma can be from words. You can measure this stuff. This is real. This is real science. It can be from words that that words. You know when they when people says like oh I'm 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 feeling that person's vibe or I'm not p- feeling that person's vibe. It is literally your fat cells talking to someone else's fat right. cells. People, that's exactly right. what's happening. Your magnetic pulse from your heart is filtered through these fat cells, and that's you're literally picking up other people. Thus, when you speak, and we all know words have vibrational power, they can change molecular structure of water. There's that one science experiment that I talk about all the time on the show. But trauma can show up like that somatically. In your physical body, it can show up just by speaking to yourself in in a certain way. And I think people forget that because they think... Oh, that's woo woo. Right. And that's like, oh no, no, it's actually right. science. You can actually go out and this <laughs> right, is a measurable right, thing. Right. <laughs> but you know, also what I realize is that people want to be a good person. Everyone wants to feel yeah, like a good sure. person. So to say yeah. or to admit that, yes, I am walking around with implicit bias and that implicit mm-hmm. bias has harmed others feels hard mm-hmm. for people to like mm-hmm. accept and pull into their body And at the same time, we are experiencing a shift in culture around Mm -hmm. othered populations being tired, being tired of being ignored, being tired of eliminated from space, being eliminated from spaces. And they are speaking up and asking, not necessarily for inclusion or diversity, because you'll never hear me ask for that but asking for equitable access to resources because like my Sean was saying, like no one is asking white yoga teachers to come into black communities and save black youth. There are plenty of black yoga Mm -hmm. teachers in the United States. There's, there's even a movie available on YouTube that talks about the history of the black yogi in America. Black people have been practicing Mm -hmm. yoga. Some would say since before it was in India, uh, in ancient Egypt, like, there, there's evidence of that. <laughs> but this mm-hmm. culture that we live in, unfortunately for everyone, centers whiteness in a way that is unhealthy. And so it even traumatizes mm-hmm. white people. 
and they don't like, mm. they aren't in the realization of it. And so it feels really harsh for people to say like, yeah, you need to look at your own history or like this country is not as great as you think it is because every single thing about our education and socialization says like America is the center of everything good. The rest of the world does it all wrong and we do it all right. And uh, it's yeah. okay to say yeah. like, I'm an American. I don't wish to be a citizen of another country. And also that puts me in the position to be highly critical of the way our country is run, of the way people live within our country and the way that people have access, because I'm a citizen here. I, I can actually trace the history of my family back before 1800s into being here in this country. So like if anybody's a citizen and has the right to make some fuss about what's happening, it should be people like that. But that's not the way we center everything. And I think if white people are willing to deconstruct the notion of whiteness, which is false. Mm -hmm. It's a false, like it's not a real thing. Race isn't real. I agree that race isn't real, but racism is real mm -hmm. and it affects people's daily lives. Right. Yeah. It's alive. It's and alive. And well. It affects <laughs> people's lived experience, black and white people. We have to be in the business of pulling mm -hmm. it apart. However, like deconstructing mm -hmm. white supremacy is really the job of white people. And, and when I say that, it's very unpopular. I apologize if you get a lot of angry comments about it in advance. And also, I'm not sorry. Like, it's not the job of black people to put white supremacy to, to bed because we didn't create it. We've learned mm -hmm. to thrive inside of it. The fact that black people still exist in this part of the world, the northern and some the southern hemispheres, is incredible because everything has mm -hmm. been done to eliminate us since slavery ended. However, we're still here because we're a strong group of people, just yeah. like any other yeah. indigenous population. However, like this construct of television shows that children are exposed to, all the black people could stop letting their children watch television. And still, if all of the white parents support places like Disney and Nickelodeon that center whiteness and ableness and thinness, it's still going to thrive. It's going to take white people saying like, I don't want right. my children to con condition to think that everyone must be cisgendered, heterosexual, thin and white and in an able body. I don't want that for my children. And then, and then making a fuss about right. it for it to actually shift in culture. And so, you know, the same is true for yoga. It's like, if you're a teacher or a practitioner, a person who has a regular practice, you need to be asking, why does everybody look exactly the same here? Why are there no teachers of color? Why are there no fat teachers? Why are there no classes for people in wheelchairs or who have limited mobility? Why are there no places for parents to come and bring their children to witness the practice? And that same thinking could be applied to every single thing. The playgroups that your children are in, the schools that you've gone to and that your children go to, the neighborhoods that you live in, like who is missing and why are they missing? And what am I doing to contribute to that? I have the answer to that because it's easier not to. Well, of course. <laughs> it's, you know what I'm saying? Of yeah. Like, there's, there's so many, there, uh, so many good points here. I, I feel like we should start a separate podcast. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not right. even kidding. Like, right. you know, on, on, on almost like, again, demystifying, you know, some of this stuff, but yeah, just because it's easier not to, it's easier not to look at your shit. It's easier not to look at why you're being sensitive and why you're, you know, when you look at the construct construct of everything, it's easier not to look at your role in this. It's easier 
easier not to do the practice. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like if you if, you're, if we're bringing it all down, it's easier not to show up. It's easier not to not to look at any of the, all of it, all of the above. It's easier to just sit back. Right. You know, at the end of the day, it's work. And I think what you know, one of the things that you were saying is, you know, whatever you know, whatever whatever part you play in this, like you, you get the choice to show up and do the work or to not do the work. And when you don't do the work, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody at literally everybody right. by not doing this work. Right. Right. But that's why Man. I say that if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen here in yoga, because isn't that the charge to be able to sit yeah. in our discomfort and look around uh -huh. and decide what to keep and what yes. to let go of. And so, yep. you know, I and to get these tools to be able to do that more effectively. Right. And there are times when I like look at what's happening just in yoga. And I feel so inspired that we are at a place, a precipice of change and narrative changing. And then, you know, there, like recently there was a list that came out on like a well-followed yoga blog about 19 best movement teachers. And they were called out because they only had one person of color and one queer person on the whole list. No people in other bodies. Um, mm -hmm. And the queer person and the person of color were the same person. And they were called out about it and they doubled down and dug in and it turned into a real ugly space. And they blocked every single person who came on and questioned and it was just interesting to watch the way people supported her actions, uh, the creator of that blog. And I just learned mm -hmm. like maybe a few days ago, they came out and apologized without actually addressing what they had done wrong. They just said like, we mm -hmm. did a thing and it was wrong and we're sorry. And so mm -hmm. they're back in a bunch of mess because people came back and said, what are you sorry for? What have you actually learned? How are you going to stop centering? Cause that was the main question that I asked and mm -hmm. others asked, why are you centering whiteness? Because on their whole timeline, they didn't have a black person on there all the way back to 2014. So it's not surprising. Ever. No, not on Never. their whole yeah. timeline. Yeah. So it wasn't surprising that they didn't have any person of color on their list, but their initial response was, well, tell us who to have on the list. And it's like, well, no, you're saying that this is your work and your job. You look it up, <laughs> you look it up, like you figure it out. Right. But there right. was just this space of people calling that divisive and attacking. And I felt good at, about it though, because some of the people on the list who are well-respected and who deserve to be on a list said, mm -hmm. yeah, this doesn't feel good that we're centering whiteness. And so some of them have had some awakenings <laughs> for themselves. And I'm like, if one person wakes up, if one white person wakes up from me saying, yeah. why is whiteness centered here? My work for the day is done because it's not actually my work to educate <laughs> white people. My work for the day is done because yeah. Yeah. it needs to be said. And, you know, it makes me unpopular. Sometimes my inbox is not that friendly. Sometimes I'm deleting comments off of my blog space and pictures of my children. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's just that it, it's just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing with is. you, Kelly, because yeah, I'm laughing with you because I just imagine you just like kind of walking by and just like setting a little something. There right. you go. There you I go. literally just asked <laughs> on that post. I literally said because uh, Amber Carnes is the person who pulled it to my attention. And she and I actually went yeah. back and forth for a couple of days about like, should we say something or should we let it go? <laughs> and Amber, I right. love because she has a huge audience. And she says unpopular mm. things. 
And sometimes people yeah. unfollow and unsubscribe and tell her how they really feel. And still she's connected to holding the space that like white voices don't need to be centered. And so she mm. made the comment and she tagged me in it. And I came on and said, I'm not surprised. I just <laughs> scrolled all the way back to 2014. I don't see one brown face. So it's not surprising to me. And the creator, mm. while there were many white people who came in and called them, they would not answer the questions of any person of color on the thread. And then they began yeah. to delete the people of color and block them from mm. the thread. And so it was very much like, well, look at how white fragility feeds white supremacy. Mm. When all this person had to do was say, oh, snap, my timeline doesn't have any people of color. Why is that? What, mm. what have I believed about the world and yoga and specifically, what have I believed about yoga specifically that has made it so that I've never even sought out a person of color for one of these nifty little handstand pictures, you know, because mm -hmm. surely there are pictures of black people doing handstands on the internet. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. and, and the notion that it was too much work <laughs> for them to do the invest that, that others should educate them on that was just, it's sad. And also so hilarious in a very sick and dry sense of humor way of like, are we serious in 2019? You can't find one brown person to put on your timeline. I mean, you heard me, girl. You heard what I said earlier. I said, it is 2019. Come on. If me yeah. walking down the street yeah. holding my boyfriend hand makes you uncomfortable. You, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I can't do it. I can't. Right. I can't. Right. Oh, man. Right. Kelly, so, we really do need to start. <laughs> We're starting a new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How, what are we going to call it? Yoga and race. Ooh, yeah. that'll be a yeah. rich class. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're gonna, right, we're, but we have to hire somebody. We have to hire somebody to only send us the positive yeah. emails, like a person who can just read all yeah. the filth that's going to come and just send us the things that are. Hey, you know what? Bad press is good press. It's <laughs> press. Right. You know, I, I, I know, but I'll just tell you energetically yeah, yeah. dealing with people. I was in Mantra Magazine two years ago and I only answered the questions that Miranda Pleasant's team yeah. sent. And the question was, what keeps you awake at night? And I said, what keeps me awake is that black and brown people are still being murdered in the United States and nothing is being done about it. And that I'll have to explain that to my children right. one day. The amount of garbage that came my way. Yeah. It was <laughs> ridiculous. I didn't even mention white supremacy. And they uh, were like, you hate white people. And I'm like, I don't, I don't hate any yeah. people. Also, my practice asked me to hold myself accountable for my right. patterns, which puts me in a position to hold other people accountable. Right. Right. And I think that most people can say when we're talking about the safety of our children, just on a base yeah. level, every mother, father, parent, caregiver should be guaranteed that the safety and protected protection of their children is a priority to the country where they're citizens or not citizens, as well as to just their community in general. And I say it all the time. I don't know when you grew up. I grew up in the 80s. And children were being kidnapped off of playgrounds, white children primarily. And what happened? We had a whole show, America's Most Wanted, where they tracked down kidnappers and people who harm children. And now as a mother, I don't actually have a true fear that a stranger is going to like come by my house and snatch my kids off the right. yard because people know there are consequences right. to that. 
But that is because white children were in danger and white parents, especially mothers, were like, no, 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 we cannot have Mm -hmm. it. And it shouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. But if there was the same voice around violence, especially police brutality in direction to children, so many things would be different. What would have happened if mothers had taken (laughs) to the streets when Trayvon Martin had been murdered in his own neighborhood by vigilante? This would have ended so much differently and would have meant so much for unifying because, you know, people love to talk about unity. Let's meet on the bridge. Let's work together. And it's like you got to be willing to give up some of your power and your privilege in an equitable way and use your voice to help the people whose voices are being ignored. And, you know, black mothers in particular, like they need white mothers to wake up to the ways that like. If your children are still watching Pocahontas movies, this is this movie is dangerous to the notion of indigenous people in this country. She was 13 years old when she was taken away from her home to be the wife of a grown man in another country. Like that movie makes it seem like a love affair. But she was 13. He was an adult. Are you really, we're really like still showing this movie to children. And like, that's just one small way of like investigate as, as parents, but even as just people, what media are you consuming and what narrative does it still feed? There's something. And like, if you step away from that, like that can change your whole perspective on how you're interacting with people in regular life, especially as a yoga teacher. There was something that you said about the fragility that, that really, uh, you know, it struck a chord, you know, to me again, I'll, I'll never know what it's like to be, um, you know, a a black person. I can uh, maybe uh, to an extent, you know, being half Mexican, you know, and half, uh, you know, uh, American as well. But knowing that I identify as a queer person, there was recently I saw this on, it was maybe it was on Facebook, you know, there's always something on your feed that's coming up. It's like, it was like a Buzzfeed thing. And it was like, it was 15 things that queer people or LGBTQ, you, I, it was, I forget the way they, they worded it. Right. And it said 15 things that, you know, whatever the community word that they used um, are afraid, are, are afraid to do that, that uh, straight people can. And, and so it mm. obviously as a queer person, I was like, huh, what is this? You know, like what, I, of course I, I yeah. want to read this. And I'm actually getting, oh my God, I'm getting chills as I'm telling you this. It was 15 different, uh, it, it said holding hands with my partner, the first thing, right? And then it was right. two queer men who had gotten beaten to death. And it was somewhere, I forget where, in like the Midwest or whatever. And number two mm. was hold, uh, man, um, holding hands with my partner, you know? And it was like right. another picture of a queer couple and... It was also, you know, someone that had gotten beaten up and it was number three and it was like holding hands with my partner and it went down to like, um, oh my gosh, excuse me. Anyway, uh, it went down to like 15 and it just, you know, I think that, you know, I I don't want to wrap this up in a pretty little bow because you can't do that because this is such a deeper conversation, but there are struggles for many different communities. There are struggles for many different communities. And I think that it starts with us, you know, in those communities, it is not our job to try to fix, you know, something else and to, to do this, but it's our job to do our own work. And it's our job to show up as best as we can every single day. And it's our job to look at our restraints. It's our job to look at the work that we're doing. And it's our job to look at the part that we're playing. And when you don't do that, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. Right. I completely agree. I mean, nobody should have to live in fear of something that seems so benign, right? Of holding hands with another person. Like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to live in fear of doing that because 
if you love a person, you should be able to hold their hands. But that's a you very should, real should, fear. Should, yeah, yeah. That many heterosexual people never have to consider. Like they never have to consider what that looks like. And you shouldn't have to be in fear of getting pulled over. It's just right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was actually on another podcast last week in the morning before the podcast, the police just rang my doorbell eight o'clock in the morning. Mm. And I was here with my children. We were like just getting up and like just getting ready for breakfast. And like my heart was beating so fast because there is a trauma around police interaction that makes what would look like irrational fear. But before I opened the door, I readied myself to be able to leave my children if I needed to. Like I put on shoes and all these things because I had no idea what they would want, why they were there. And I'm in the full knowing that, I mean, I don't know what could happen, but I'm here with my children and I want them to be safe and I want myself to be safe. And that's trauma that people carry in their body. And so like, even the way that reading that article, like it still affects you. I can hear it in your voice. That's trauma around knowing that even you are not safe. Even if people don't see that you have brown blood in you, if you identify as queer in a certain space, you may not physically be safe as a person. No one should have to live like that. And also if you are navigating that on a daily basis, for whatever reason, you should have access to tools that can offer you some peace. And for me, that tool is yoga. And so it informs my work every single day because I don't want people to be in the world working through these systems as we dismantle them and not Mm -hmm. have access to tools. And so I'm committed to making sure that as many people as possible that feel othered or eliminated from a space or ignored in a space have, have spaces and have access and aren't um, suffering. That's the point of the practice, right? To end suffering. I think you're doing a beautiful job at it. And I think, you know, to, to your, just to your point earlier, listen, like I want to bring people on the show that want to say something and, you know, whatever, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion and I'm not trying to make everyone happy and you shouldn't try to make everyone, well, that's not our job. Right. You know, our job is to, to really, to do what we do best. And that is our work. And I think that you, you know, my dear, I mean, I'll call you my friend now. Right. <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that we are showing up and, and doing our work and providing this and, and, and Kelly, I just, I can't thank you enough for, for your time today and for coming on the show. And I, I totally, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to have these conversations and I know we get to hear the backlash if it happens, right. but I think it's important. You so can call me. We'll you. laugh and read the ugly comments yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. Kelly, mm-hmm. thank you again so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciate everything you had to say, as I'm sure our listeners will as well. And um, until the next Yogi Misfit session, this is Kelly and Danny saying peace out. Yes, peace.